Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Acts chapter 11. Today is our annual Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Dedication Sunday. Uh, and the reality is, just like I said, it, over a year's worth of dedication has made today possible. Um, but this is a Sunday every November where we take a special moment to pray over these offerings, uh, these opportunities for gospel declaration before they head out to some child all around this world. And typically, um, since I've been here, I pause from whatever book of the Bible we're going through exegetically and deliver some missions-related sermon. I don't have to do that this morning because we're in the book of Acts, and um, the consistent and continual theme is missions. It's the continuing work of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit through his followers. That's what you see behind me, isn't it? The continuing work of Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit through his followers. Uh, And so this morning, we're going to return once again to that section of Scripture that has been dealing with Peter and Cornelius and God's plan to have the gospel go here, there, and everywhere, and to everyone. Before we study it verse by verse, let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit, present in the lives of every single person who's trusted you as Savior uh, and and dwelling us, I pray that he'd have completely unobstructed ministry uh, in illuminating the truth of your word here in these 18 verses to us. Um, And God, I, I pray that if there's any change that needs to occur in our lives, in our way of thinking, in what we're doing, and what we're saying, and how we uh, partner together. Lord, I, I pray that um, we would have yielded hearts, soft hearts. Uh, God, they wouldn't be hardened. I pray your Holy Spirit would um, motivate us, encourage us to respond to the truth of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's only been two weeks. We had Baptist Children's Home last week. Uh, it feels much longer, but it's only been two weeks since we learned of the Gentiles who were in Cornelius' house uh, in Caesarea. They received Christ as their Savior, and they were indwelt uh, by the Holy Spirit in response to Peter's gospel declaration. What a joyful thing, right? A bunch of people getting saved. And, um, well, you would think so, but it wasn't for everybody. Peter's obedience to God's leading actually caused him some trouble. That's what we find in the first three verses here of chapter 11. Uh, Look at the report in verse 1. It says that the apostles and the brethren, so meaning the Christians that were in Judea, that were in the church at Jerusalem, they had heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. And so the leaders in the church in Jerusalem and the congregation there, Christians who were ethnically Jewish, Uh, they found out that Peter had gone and preached Jesus to the Gentiles and that they had gotten saved. Now, you would think that would be something that they'd be very excited about, wouldn't you? And the gospel was clearly going where Jesus said it should go and wanted it to go. The the work of Jesus Christ was continuing by his Holy Spirit through his followers. And, And they may have been glad, but it doesn't say that in the first verse. It just says that they heard about it. And whether or not they rejoiced at this, and they should have, 
But whether or not they did, what we do know about is um, their reaction. Verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 says that when Peter got back uh, to the church in Jerusalem from his little mission trip over to Caesarea, it says in verse 2 that they that were of the circumcision contended with him. Again, that's a description of those ethnically Jewish church leaders, they that were of the circumcision. It says they contended with Peter. In the Greek, contended is diakrino, and the most simple translation is to judge. Um, They began judging Peter for what he had done there. And their problem wasn't so much that uh, really what he had done, that Peter had given out the gospel to the Gentiles. They knew that was necessary. Jesus told them so though it really hadn't happened as of yet. Rather, the thing that that stuck in their cross, so to speak, we find out in verse 3. They told Peter, you went into men who were uncircumcised. Peter, as a Jewish Christian, you went into their house and you ate with them. To understand how offensive this was um, to Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, we have to understand at this point they were still adhering still following the Old Testament ceremonial law, even as believers. We also have to understand their culture, um, that to share a meal with someone was a lot more significant than it probably is even in our day and age. It was a special sign of fellowship. And so to them, Peter had made a significant compromise to the standards that they held. Now, the reaction was wrong because their way of thinking was wrong, But let's not forget that just a few days earlier, Peter held that same conviction, same wrong conviction himself. Uh, What is important for us to understand in these first three verses really is is how significant the change was that God had just initiated in these last two chapters. Uh, This change said to the Gentiles, you don't have to become Jews first before becoming a Christian. You don't have to. Uh, you, You don't have to put yourself under the Old Testament law, Old Covenant law of Moses. That has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You just need to repent and believe, and you can be saved. That's what this change said to the Gentiles. This change initiated by God said to the Jewish Christians, you need to receive your Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ as full members in the family of God. You're the same now. You're the same in God's sight. And so Peter's in a bit of trouble here. And we can learn a lot of how to deal with conflict that might arise in the church from what Peter does in response. I mean, Peter's way of thinking, it has been transformed in the last few days and everything that has happened. And now he has to get this whole group of Christians going God's way. Let's look at Peter's testimony in verses 4 to 16. Uh, If you see one thing, it is this. Peter has a reliance on God's word. Uh, The emphasis in Peter's defense is that God told him to do what he had done. Look at verse 4. It says that Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning, and he expounded it by order. He didn't get upset. He did not claim apostolic authority. You know, Peter didn't say, I'm the pastor, and you need to get in line with what I feel God wants me to do. He didn't say that. No, not leaving a single detail out. He just told them the truth. Told them the truth. That's what we find in verses 5 through 10. You know, over the past few weeks, um, this would be the third time we've heard this account um, of the vision that God gave to Peter and God gave to Cornelius. And so for time's sake, I won't go through it again right now. 
I mean, we, uh, we just read it. But I do want you to notice Peter's reliance on God's word in his testimony right here. Uh, in Peter's vision, where does verse 5 say that the sheet came down from? It came down from where? Heaven. It came down from heaven. This was a message from God. It was God's word that instructed Peter to do what he did, and Peter obeyed. In verses 7 through 9, whose voice instructs Peter to arise, slay, or kill, and eat? Whose voice is conversing with Peter? Verse 8 says that it was the Lord's. This was a message from God. It was God's word that instructed Peter to do what he did, and Peter obeyed. And let me briefly jump down to verse 12. Peter testifies to those who were contending with him, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ that was indwelling Peter. The Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. This was a message from God. It was God's word that instructed Peter to do what he did, and Peter obeyed. One more, real quick, verse 16. Uh, Peter says there, then I remembered the word of the Lord. Peter says that he recalled something that Jesus himself had told not just him, but all of the disciples when Jesus was on earth with them and how that lined up and how it applied with everything that had just happened in Caesarea. Listen, when conflict arises in the church or really in any area of our lives and when we find ourselves in need to defend what we did or testify about how God is leading us, we had better have a reliance on the word of God, amen? We better rely on God's word, just like Peter did. Uh, otherwise, we might choose to get upset or emotional. Or we can have the calm demeanor that Peter displays here and, and gently explain our position and our actions based on something that is eternal and trustworthy and reliable and unchanging, the word of God. And before we move on, um, there's a specific application, I believe, here for leaders especially. Um, I do not have any plans on leaving here anytime soon. Um, I love it here. But just for your benefit, if myself or some pastor years from now, if some church leader says, we need to do this or we need to do that, or God is telling me that uh, I've got this vision and we need uh, to do this, I hope, first of all, that they can back it up with God's word, and I hope you hold them to it. To it. You, you need to do that. Uh, this is an errant, amen? This is our guide. This is sufficient, amen? This is to be our, our guide. An exclusive reliance on God's word, it will always keep you in God's will. Now, there's some additional evidence it's not as equally reliable as God's word is, but Peter offers it as well because it's got a particularly valuable application in proving that this change that occurred, that it is the will of God here. He has a reliance on God's work. In verses 11 to 16, Peter gives a testimony to these people. They were not there uh, to see what Peter and these other six men saw, um, and we learned of it the last time we were together after Peter's vision he found a, a few fellas outside uh, Simon the Tanner's house and um, in Joppa where he was staying. And those guys invited him to come to the Gentile Cornelius' house. And again, in verse 12, it says that the Holy Spirit clearly communicated. He instructed Peter to head over there with them. And then verses 13 and 14, um, there are a recollection of Cornelius' conversation with Peter. 
and when Cornelius invited Peter to come and preach to them, to come give them the gospel to all the Gentiles that were assembled there. And then in verse 15, Peter tells them what happened during his gospel declaration. Just two weeks ago, I don't know if you remember from our our last passage there at the end of chapter 10, but while Peter was preaching, before he even gave an invitation, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And then pay attention to this phrase there in verse 15, as on us at the beginning. So Peter tells uh, the Jewish Christians at Jerusalem who were were judging him, uh, these Gentiles, that they responded to the gospel Uh, They received Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they were immediately indwelt with the Holy Spirit just as on us at the beginning. What's he talking about there? Just like happened to us back in the upper room in Acts 2 before the day of Pentecost. Peter's saying there's no difference here. They are saved just like we are. And again, Peter takes them to the Word of God in verse 16. We looked at it earlier, but he links what happened here in Caesarea with what Jesus told them earlier before his death, resurrection, and ascension back to heaven. Peter says, do you guys remember when Jesus told us, John indeed baptized with water, but but you, you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Peter says, what happened to us? And it happened to them as well. We're saved. They're saved all the same way. This has been a transforming experience for Peter. It was about to be for all these Jewish Christians. God is using Peter to get the whole group going God's way. It definitely was a transforming experience for the whole church because it had been a transforming experience for these Gentiles who had just been saved. Let's close by considering uh, the transformation in the last two verses here, verses 17 and 18. We find out that the Gentiles received an evidentiary gift. Peter continues his testimony in verse 17. He says, for as much then, we could say since, (laughs) Since God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? Well, the clear and obvious answer to that question and to this change is Peter couldn't withstand God and God's will here. And uh, neither could, neither should these Christians who were contending and judging him. The Gentiles were given uh, the same gift that God had given to the apostles and to the other ethnically Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, the indwelling Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Have you received that gift? Well, if you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, you have. Uh, If you've received the salvation that God offers to us by his grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, you have that same gift. And it is an evidentiary gift. When you receive the Holy Spirit, life changes. Maybe not as fast as you want it to. But your way of thinking changes. We call it here new affections, new aversions, no ambivalence. You're new. You're a new creation. God's word tells us. It's an evidentiary gift. Isn't that what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the what? It's a gift. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. What's the gift of God? Our salvation's the gift of God. His grace is a gift of God. Being saved by faith in his grace is the gift of God. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the evidentiary gift of God. That's what verse 18 tells us. Let me read it. When they heard these things, they held their peace. And they glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. 
It's not only an evidentiary gift. I mean, it is that because it's an effectual gift. Uh, First, those who judge Peter here in verse 18, uh, because Peter obeyed God, because Peter relied on his word, it says that they held their peace. They stopped contending with Peter. They stopped judging Peter. They couldn't. He had backed it up with the word of God. And then it says that they began to glorify God. Peter had been used of God to get this whole group going on mission. What an awesome thing. And this is how verse 18 says that they glorify God. They said, then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. That is definitely a glorifying to God statement. God has done this. God has granted. What's another word for granted? Given. God has given the Gentiles repentance unto life. What is that? Repentance unto life. It's just saving faith. Saving faith. Repent and believe. That is how God's word says that we are saved. That is how we have new life in Christ now and eternal life with him in heaven one day. Saving faith is granted is given to them just as it is to us and everyone else who is saved by God. The great uh, Baptist pastor of the 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said it this way, from the word of God I gather that damnation, it is all of man from top to bottom. He that perishes, he chooses to perish. But he that is saved is saved because God has chosen to give him salvation. It's by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. The Gentiles here, they were transformed by an evidentiary gift because they had received an effectual gift. Faith in God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. It's the same way the apostles and these ethnically Jewish Christians were saved. It's the same way every single one of us here this morning are saved. Have you received that gift? God's holding it out to you this morning if you haven't. It's, it's simply a matter of admitting your need to be saved to God in prayer, confessing your sins to him this morning and turning in faith from sin to him. And if you've never done that, uh, do it now. Um, And then if you're doing it, we're going to have a time of response, but I mean, don't wait for that. Do it right now. And then please tell me that you've done it so I can rejoice with you um, just as these Gentiles did. Uh, Peter got going. Do do you know what the church is made up of? (laughs) Sinners saved by grace. (laughs) It is. Um, Who sometimes still come into conflict with each other. If that occurs, don't stay like these Jewish believers started out. How sad. How sad that they were more concerned about what Peter did than what God and his grace were doing in the lives of these people. And praise God that they were humble enough to respond to God's word when Peter relied on God's word. You know, if conflict arises, don't rely on anything else. Don't. This is what heals. Amen? Now, it cuts first, but the healing's worth it. Um, this is what transforms. And if we're going to obey the great commission Jesus gave us, we have to do it together. That don't happen any other way. We've got to do it together. Um, And so may our reliance on God's word together, may it get our group going God's way every day. I'll have Tommy come up and just lead us in a moment of invitation before we have a time to dedicate um, these. But however God is is calling on you to respond to his word today. I just ask that you'd obey him.